the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Welcome back. Hello. What are we talking about today, Hannah? Today, uh, we are, well, a few weeks ago, when we were recording, before recording, we were having dinner, and you had spent a couple of days at home when your wife was away, working, and by working, I mean watching full series of Netflix back-to-back, and you asked if we had watched Mindhunter. And, of course, we hadn't, because it had just gone up, like, 36 hours before. Um, But since then, it was recommended to me by more than one person, and we watched it a few weeks ago. And since then, lots of commentary on social media, lots of people recommending it to each other, word of mouth. Um, Netflix knew that this show was going to be quite popular, presumably based on... um, um, market research. <laughs> well, I mean, it fits into a tradition, you know. It fits. It's it sort of Science of the Lambs, FBA Behavioral Science Unit has has been represented in cultural, literary, cinematic texts before. Um, so it's a tried and tested formula, as it were. It's telling the story, supposedly based on a true story, telling the story of the FBI team that uh, identify, invent. The, the term serial killer and charts depicts the story the investigations that they go through in order to uh, categorize this new apparently new form of criminality and I think the, the show uh, makes a lot of the fact that this is a new precisely a new form of criminality that there was a time before when it was easier to find out what the motives of a killer might be but now in this new world of the 70s uh, insanity needs to be defined and categorized for these people who kill multiple people apparently without any clear motive and there's something different and there's something different there's something different about that crime and they link it to a sort of contemporary uh, malaise if you will yeah Uh, this show is based on a book the guy that it's based on who wrote this book about the FBI is the he's the source there's really a single source for all of this I mean he's the he's the um, inspiration for um, Silence of the Lambs uh, there's other there's lots of and I mean basically anything about serial killers yeah. and the FBI comes from Yes. this one source yes. which I think is fascinating yes. um, this show so I guess if you haven't watched it and you do want to watch I'm not really sure that there's like much in the way of spoilers because no. it's really it's one of those shows where when kids would describe as a talking show yeah. not much happens and what's really fascinating about the fact that not much happens in this show is it's a Netflix show um, you know, this era of Game of Thrones, gratuitous boobs and 
sex and wild violence and you mm. know that mm. this show leaves a lot of that yeah aside it, it's actually i mean i have i have problems with various aspects of the show but i think it does a relatively good job of depicting uh violence and specifically depicting gendered violence without uh using it to gratify without falling into a uh, exploitative voyeuristic vocabulary yes. visual vocabulary I think it does a good yeah. job of that which The Fall the yes. first season of The Fall yeah. was heavily criticised yeah. for um, romanticising yeah. and eroticising yeah. women's bodies yes. and gendered violence yeah. violence committed yes. by yes. men against yes. women and I having watched The Fall I would absolutely agree yeah. with that yeah. that critique yeah. I'm totally 100% on board with that critique this show is fascinating in that it it rejects some of that that um I would say really highly stylized visuality yeah in favor of a plot forwarded by language Yes, except there is a highly stylized visuality to the show. There is definitely. There, I mean, it's it's a it's a Fincher vehicle. I don't know if it was created by Fincher. I don't think it was, but but certainly going by the credits, the most one of the most formative influences on the on the on the show is David Fincher. So, and there is a Fincher style to the to the way the 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 show is shot. Yeah, he does direct a number of the he episodes. He does direct a number yeah. of episodes, uh, but it's not a a stylized visual visual. Uh, 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 vocabulary that appropriates and exploits violence, particularly, it's stylized in the way it is, in the way sort of in the way it's shot, in the way it's the set design and so on and so forth. But the the serial killer violence at the heart of it is often remains undepicted. Well, it's it's left to the viewer. Yeah. To listen yes. to the dialogue. Yes. And what's interesting is you watch you watch other characters listen to recordings of the same conversation yes. that you have heard. So it is a kind of... I mean, it kind of makes me think, um, and I don't think it's as good as this, but it does make me think of um, the Coppola film, The Conversation, yeah. which is about um, language yeah. and about listening to language and constructing reality based on what you hear. And and the the serial killers have these conversations with these two FBI agents that are very disturbing and the the language is disturbing. Um I don't know that much about how much they pulled from actual f- FBI files. Yeah. Presumably some. Yeah. Um but there's no recreation. Yeah. Of the, of, the violent, of the violent acts yeah. themselves, yeah. which is quite fascinating. You do mm. see crime scene photographs, yeah. um, but n- they're not; they don't linger. The shots don't linger no, on don't. these images. And also, there's as a and maybe I noticed this as a practicing sort of. I was about to say practicing oral historian. And I'm not an oral historian, but as someone who practices oral history, the the materiality of the violence, the materiality of the recreation of the violence, is replaced in the show. I think with the materiality of the taping mechanism. So the mechanism that they use to record these interviews takes centre stage. So you have repeated shots of 
the tape spooling and unspooling. They have repeated shots of people pressing record and stop and play. Uh, they have whole, whole plots and subplots about organizing the tapes, categorizing the tapes, what happens, what is transcribed, what isn't transcribed. So a lot of the a lot of the plot hinges around the materiality of recording evidence. And the record itself. And the record itself. But it's an oral, oral record as opposed to, even though we do see crime scene photographs, but mostly it's language, it's voice. Yeah, and it's and it's language also because there's the text, there's yes. the transcription text. Yes. And um, you see shots of, of the reactions of characters who are listening. Yes. yes. Um, and, and this, I think leads me to the more kind of theory aspect of this episode and we're sort of going back to our original mission which we've I don't think we've kept to it amazingly well uh, which was to use a very concrete and specific theoretical concept to talk about pop culture yes. um, part of the reason is the the world Yes. Crashed and burned yes. a couple of months after we devised our mission and pop culture seemed to be less pressing and less timely. But I think Mindhunter is so... It's, it, in a sense, it's not as popular as Stranger Things because yes. it's not as trendy, it's not as yeah. nostalgic, um, and it's not as... as um, you know, I would say emotionally manipulative in terms of its plot. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not quite as entertaining. It's not escapism yeah. in the way that something yeah. like Stranger Things is. But it had the same sort of word of mouth yeah. uh, response, and the, and the, it spread via word of mouth that people just people enjoy this show. Um, and I don't really enjoy David Fincher's work that yeah. much, generally. Yeah. Um, I I turned Gone Girl off. Is yeah. the most recent thing after half an hour yeah. or so. Um, for example, and but this show uh, to me is just a perfect illustration, and I'm pretty sure it's it's unconscious on on the um, the writer's parts because we'll we'll talk a bit more mm. about why we think that in a bit. This is Foucault's discourse on display, and discourse not in the kind of loose, airy-fairy social science way of talking about discourse is just being words. Mm. But discourse is the, th- the theoretical concept that Foucault introduced um, as a, a way of a way of doing his archaeology and a way of doing his genealogy. So do you want to explain firstly what Foucault means by discourse? Yes. So Foucault means something quite specific. Um, it isn't just language. Mm. It is about the rules of language that determine what can and cannot be said. And the rules around what can and cannot be said determine the limits of what we know about the world. That beyond the words that we can and cannot say, the terms that we can and cannot say, the, the things we can and cannot discuss in the various kind of social settings in yes. which we live, determine our knowledge of the mm. world. Mm. So, and he describes a kind of a change in discourse, a sort of, I mean, I call it a mutation mm. in discourse. Um, when a discourse gets mu- mutated, yeah. knowledge changes along with it. Yes. And 
Bourdieu had a slightly different take on discourse, which I think is a little bit more difficult because Bourdieu is more difficult to read. Yeah. His take is is very much about disciplines. He mm. uses disciplinary boundaries as a way mm. of talking about discourse, mm. that the language within a discipline determines the knowledge that gets produced in that discipline, which is why, so last week we were talking with Dr. Kate Cross about psychology and, and scientific study around gender and sex, why we have such a difficulty talking across disciplines about things like socially constructed identities. Mm. And it is mm. because of this dis these discursive walls that get put up. Mm. Um, for Foucault, discourse is, is, is a means, one of the means by which we can uncover the history of a particular assumption that we make, of a particular way or term that we might use to conceptualize how people are. For him, he did this using mental health um, and madness, this yeah. idea of madness. He charts the changing ways in which language um, defines and therefore characterizes madness and therefore ascribes madness to certain kinds of people and how that then gets enacted in a sort of institutionalized systemic yeah. way. So the, the kind of the way that madness becomes pathologized over history. And he does this using a careful examination yeah. of historical documents. And that is his, his archaeology or his genealogy. And, and uh, it's important to point out uh, in this context, perhaps that for Foucault discourse and, and the, the forms discourse takes and the way discourse works in society is a manifestation of power. Right, so power acts in and through discourse. So yeah. power acts in and through what can and can't be said. Yeah, yes. it's kind of discourse provides a sort of channel, yes. if you will. Yes. Um, so one of the best examples um, is, I think, medical discourse, mm. and Foucault uses medical discourse a lot as a, as mm. an example yes. um, that that the power of a doctor or a surgeon or um, a hospital board of directors or an academic medical school yeah. can, through medical language yes. and terminology, either, I don't want to say invent because that just yeah. means they pull it out of thin air. They don't pull yeah. it out of thin air. There's a complicated process by which terms get made and then people's bodies yeah are enacted upon and, and mutation is a good word to describe that so so in history of sexuality Foucault talks about how I think there's a, there's a line about the sodomite was a was an aberration but the homosexual becomes a species yeah so there is a mutation through which the 19th century figure of the homosexual who has a history and has a lineage and has individual identifiable characteristics that mean they can be constructed into a category Yes. That happens through discourse. Yeah, exactly. So how does all of this apply to Mindhunter? So Mindhunter is about the the creation of a term, yes. serial killer. Yes. And it is about the pathologizing of criminality in a new way in the 1970s. And it's about how the FBI, a, s a very small subset of the FBI, a couple of people, redefined a certain type of of criminality using the creation of a new discourse 
um, that fits into a wider discourse of criminality and also wider discourse of mental health yes. um, and the pathologizing of behavior that, you know, and Foucault was writing all this in yeah. the 70s. Yes. He was, it's not an accident yeah. that his theories of discourse come about in the 70s because he is watching yeah. these processes happen already. Um, he was a historian, so he was interested in a longer historical lineage of, of these processes. But it is quite interesting because you see you see the way that these these FBI agents interact with these serial killers and how their interactions change yeah. as the words and language that they're using, the yeah. discourse that they're enacting. Yeah to describe and understand and characterize mm -hmm. these serial killers changes. So yeah. th their relationships change mm. because the language through which they're understanding yeah. Yeah. the people they're interacting with changes. Yeah. And it's, I don't think the show knows that it's doing no, this. No. The show is convinced that it is simply a matter of these F individual FBI agents have discovered a pattern and in discovering a pattern that has al always existed they've objectively gone okay x has happened y has happened z has happened these are all individual men who kill multiple people without any apparent victim these are the risk factors these are the characteristics and therefore based on these risk factors and characteristics we can identify a category of human being called serial killer yeah but i think both of us agree what the what the show actually is doing is constructing in in this identifying and naming process constructing constructing inventing mutating whatever word we want to use the category of serial killer as well as the category of serial killer hunter so if you think of holden ford who's the the protagonist in the in the tv show is has uh prequels uh, models, however you wanted to, the temporality is a bit skewed, but Clary Starling from Silence of the Lambs is a, is an is an example of a uh, a pattern of which Holden Ford is a part of, um, and both the serial killer and the serial killer hunter are created in the same moment using the same discourse. Yes, what's interesting is I mean uh, other serial killer shows do yeah. that as well. Yes, um, the fall is. I think probably the most recent and most stark contrast yes. um, in terms of style and narrative yeah. um, uh, and purpose. But that sets up this dichotomy yeah. between yeah. the serial killer and the investigator hunting him. Yeah. And it's about the relationship between yeah. the two of, yeah. of them. Um, and Luther as well. I think Luther's a good example yeah. as well. That Luther, especially is... is characterized as this this like flawed um mentally ill detective which has such hunting. a long tradition right i mean that's raymond chandler that's yeah. I mean, the, the hardball detective the 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 idea that the the gap between the hunter and the hunted disappears as the hunter has to become the hunted has to think like the hunted in order to create the traps that will yeah, will capture the hunted. There is one particular scene in in Mindhunter where 
they've obviously every episode has interviews and this one particular scene where Holden Ford sort of erupts in the middle of an interview uh, in order to get the serial killer to talk Holden explicitly sort of becomes a serial killer uses the vocabulary of the serial killer uh, in order to trap the serial killer into confiding his secrets yes and that that moment sort of performs this what has become a cliche of the the hunter becoming the hunted yeah it's interesting and the the show um trades on that cliche i don't think it's necessarily critical no of it i think the the point of the show is to demonstrate some of the dangers of getting too close to these so-called psychopaths, you know, this and, and and you conveniently have Bill Tench, who's Holden Ford's partner, who is the the normal uh, who, person in the team who who refuses to assimilate, as it were, who refuses yeah. to to buy into this this dark world which yeah. Holden is is sort of submerging into. Yeah, he refuses to empathize. Yes. Um, and again, all of these these models get constructed through the discourse, gets constructed through the process that identifies, creates, mutates this these new categories. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what a show would look like if it was a, if it was trying to sh- if it stepped you know one yeah. or two steps further. Yeah. And understood how how this concept of discourse works and tries to show it. I mean, in terms of media. We only have so many tools mm. to use, but it's interesting because of what I what I find fascinating about this show is it thinks it's as far removed as it can be, especially because in its depiction of of academia, right? So it has a we haven't really spoken about the um, the role academia plays in this in the show. So the FBI unit teams up with uh, a psychologist, an academic psychologist who is female and is lesbian, and is given the job of helping to convince initially the the protagonist FBI agents and then latterly the whole of the FBI of sort of social construction of identity and social context behind individual agency. The FBI is presented as a world where uh, one identifies these evil killers and then imprisons them. And that is all there is to know about it. There is no there is no context to crime. There is no uh social aspect of criminality. Uh and both this particular academic and also another f- also female graduate student who is Holdenfeld's girlfriend for most of the most of the series. Uh and these these women are presented as the the social construction, the social construction view, right? Yeah, of of crime and criminality, and they 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 are seen to quote be sociologists like Durkheim and Goffman and and also Freud in moments about as as uh, tools which allow a different view of the world, and these two different view two different worldviews, the FBI worldview and the university worldview, are presented as visually, politically very disparate. This is also, you know, this is post-Vietnam, this is post-Watergate, this is a world where the FBI has been known to monitor subversive activities happening on university campuses, and all that context comes into this as well. 
Yes, and there's there's criticism on the part of some of the academics for their involvement with the F- yes. for other academics' involvement with the FBI. There's an ethical question that the psychologist grapples with about being involved with yeah. the FBI and being involved with this project. Yeah. Um, there's also a question on the part of um, the FBI about what their role mm. is and it, are they are they obligated to take into account yes. these other theoretical viewpoints, these other lenses for understanding the world. But going back again, you you, named, you referred to our previous episode with, with Dr. Kate Cross about, about gender differences. Go, the, the, the academic uh, who's, who's presented as the intellectual uh, outsider to the FBI view is presented as objectivist, as positivist, right? She is, she is insistent that set questions are asked. She is interested in getting uh, uncomplicated, clean data that can be compared from one interview to another. She yeah. is not the kind of academic that we are th- we think of when we talk about critical theory in Foucault. She is not a critical theory-influenced critical humanist. Um, she, she is uh, much more in the model of a positive scientist. Yes. Whereas a girlfriend character is not. Yes. The girlfriend yes. character, um, there's a scene towards the end where they're grocery shopping, yeah. and she says, you know, you, you assigned him guilt before you went into an interview, yes. and so you created the conditions within your interview yes. to m- make him guilty. Yeah. Whether or not he's guilty is, you know, is is beside the point. What you've done is exerted your power yes. over this this individual. And, and she's a Foucauldian without knowing it, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a Foucauldian position, but the show doesn't know it, and therefore she doesn't know yeah. that that's what she's doing. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, too, the show... The show paints that the psychologist is, is her name is Wendy Cross yes. and she she is I think she's painted in in quite a positive light. Yes. Um in a moral light she takes a she takes a moral stance that she sticks to. Yeah. Um she thinks through her her morality yeah. and she insists on respect for the the people that they're interviewing but yeah. also critical distance. Um and she is presented in this really positive light. Yeah. And this, I find this really fascinating, especially given in the last few years, we've had, um, there's been a real demonization of psychologists yeah. who aid the CIA and the FBI, particularly yeah. around harsh interrogation, mm. um, because that was designed by psychologists mm. working mm. with government intelligence agencies. Mm. And that is ultimately what she's doing. Yeah. That is her, her role here. Mm. And one of the things that she talks about is prediction. Yeah. If you can predict. Yeah. And, and that it starts to get a little bit minority report. It, if you take it, it if you take it to its dystopian yeah. end yeah. and this show isn't critical of that position at all. I don't think. Yeah. Um, and it sort of, it, it leaves that question unexplored. It does. I mean, there are a couple of moments when sort of FBI hierarchy are given a little bit of insight where, you know, the FBI hierarchy says our job isn't to predict crime. Our job is to solve crime when it happens. Yeah. And and there is a sense in which the FBI is given a, uh, a certain amount of insight into the the limits of government government activity and surveillance and so on, uh, but not a huge amount. You're right. 
Yeah, and I think I mean there's there's this character of the school principal yeah. um that that gets re- that is removed from his position hmm. because of inappropriate contact with his students, but that it, it doesn't in the 70s wasn't yeah. a crime. Now it is a crime, yeah. interestingly yeah. enough. Um and there is a kind of um I think the show takes this this position which it thinks is is progressive but I find actually quite conservative yeah. um which is that the FBI should do this kind of work ultimately so is this I mean um I'm just throwing this out as a as a suggestion that that just come into my head is this a way in which to tap into the slightly tired debate about whether or not Foucault is a neoliberal. You know, is that it <laughs> does this does the the way the show unknowingly use Foucault uses Foucault points to certain kind of a certain neoliberal conservative streak that runs through Foucault's thought? Yeah, I think it's more that Foucault and the show can't deal with neoliberalism. Yes. And so there's a streak there, but it's not... It's not a sort of... It's not a conscious streak, and I don't think if Foucault were alive now, he would be a neoliberal. Yes. I think it's that at the time... There was... Foucault's method couldn't deal with neoliberalism and this this show weirdly is stuck in that yeah i mean my my reading and you may disagree with this my reading is that foucault gives me a way to understand the world a way to explain the world foucault doesn't give me and isn't particularly interested in reasons or ways to change the world in other words, Foucault explains how institutions work, he explains how power work power works, but he doesn't I don't think give a reason to resist, particularly. But he does, right? Yeah. Because built within discourse or is counter discourse yeah. and counter and yes. built within so but is there a value system to discourse and counter discourse? Is there a value system to power and resistance? So I think there is, and I yeah. think that Foucault, when he responded to critics yeah. about the fact that he was a nihilist, yeah. said, you've you've misread yeah. what I've said. Yeah. It's that the value system comes from understanding how the institutions work, and I think he, he works off of the assumption that we have we have a shared moral framework that is about trying to keep people alive okay. with dignity okay and yeah. that the if you leave that yeah. as a shared value that yeah. we have one of the ways that you can think about how actually our dignity is eroded yeah. by these processes that the state and yeah. corporate institutions claim actually gives us dignity but yeah. actually erodes our dignity yeah. we are then able to see that at work yeah. and put into place count, what he calls counter-conduct, yeah. behavior yeah. that allows us to challenge. Yeah. Okay. I see. 
But I don't think... I mean, he certainly wasn't... Ca- he wasn't calling for revolution. Yeah. He... He participated, yeah. certainly. Yeah. His personal life yeah. was... Was one that... Um, you know, he protested. He was... He behaved in countercultural ways. Yeah. Um, his being out as a gay man and um, his sexual life was yeah. countercultural yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, even though he was quite... He was less exciting, I think, than people make him out to yeah. see. He was quite boring, and he yeah. was quite elitist yeah. in conversation, yeah. and he was yeah. quite dull, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. But th- I don't think there is... I think that claim... A sort of... In some ways, I think it, I think it ascribes too much power to theory. Yeah. And I think Foucault yeah. himself was aware that actually theory only has so much power. And so it... But uh, we've spoken before about how we both think Foucault is more of a Marxist than he's he's thought of. Given credit for, yeah. Given credit for. But the that isn't a Marx that limit that notion of the limitations of theory in that sense. It's not a particularly Marxist notion. You know, Marx Marx's theory is absolutely interested in trying to change the world. You know, I mean that's what that's the point for Marx. But I don't think that's the point for Foucault. Yeah, well, I think Foucault was a bit more limited in terms of his, like, his his belief that the idea of wanting to change the world is yeah. a problematic one. Yes, yes, I think so. I think I agree with that. And that that is what has been taken yeah. forward by post-structuralists. Yes. And that, I think, is where post-structuralists claim him yeah. as one of their own. Yeah. Um, th- that... That it is harder and fundamentally more difficult to change the world. And that in order to do so, you need to have a far more nuanced reading of how the world is going to be. I think that is where he saw himself and his work. But I don't think... I certainly don't think he tackles neoliberalism in any useful way. Certainly not. Um, he does really just describe it. Yes. And this show is quite... Quite similar. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit detached from a moral... Yeah, you sort of don't... I mean, in a very... Uh, again, somewhat cliched way, you don't get the sense that certainly Holden Ford is animated particularly by... A moral crusade to save the victims of serial killers. It is an intellectual problem, sort of within this sort of empty world of language, as it were, uh, to use a post-structuralist cliche. Um, yeah, he's motivated yes. by understanding, and the title of the show hints at that. Yes. Well, it doesn't hint; it makes explicit. Yeah. He's interested in getting inside their heads. Yes. Because he's fascinated yes, by them. Yes. Whereas everyone else yeah. is interested either in justice yes. or in constructing a model that can be used yeah. to prevent deaths. Yes. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Um, let us know if you agree with our reading of Foucault. Yeah. If this has helped your <laughs> understanding of Foucault. Um, let us know what you think of Mindhunter. Um, 
tweet at us, send us Facebook comments, and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you.